Hello, welcome to the third episode of the Truth About Cars podcast. My name is Tim Healy. I'm the managing editor of the website, and I'm here with our news contributors, Matt Posky, who's based in Michigan, and Matthew Guy, who's based in Nova Scotia, and I myself am in Chicago, and we are talking about the best cars of 2002, profit margins, and the upcoming New York Auto Show this week. So we're going to get it started with the discussion about profit margins, and Matt Posky has some insight into this, and so Matt, I'm going to turn it on over to you. Well, the start of the year, pretty much every big automaker started talking about how to balance um, profits with diminished output. And I just kind of wanted to talk about why. I mean, really just speculate because, I mean, they're all kind of giving us the same line. But uh, maybe maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe we can guess why, you know, certain automakers are going one way and, and uh, others aren't. Like Tesla certainly isn't... Um, stressing about diminished output all it's talking about is ramping up production it's a much smaller automaker but bigger companies uh notably toyota volkswagen general motors and ford they're all talking about how to maximize profit margins i'm a little concerned just because the american automakers specifically just spent like the last decade getting rid of all of their sedans and lower priced like economy cars to focus on high margin SUVs and crossovers. So I just wonder like, where is the bottom going to be? Like how long until this drops out? I mean, can, um, can GM continue to sell like increasingly more expensive and presumably larger cars at the expense of affordable stuff while, while the economy looks so rough. I think I wrote about this. They got rid of uh, the Sonic which is a dirt cheap car retailing well originally for about 14 grand and the smallest most affordable car in Chevrolet's lineup now is the Trax which is almost it's not quite but it's it's almost 10 grand more i think it starts at like 22 and a half something like that uh, let's see yeah around about there mm-hmm. uh so it, it's good in the sense that yeah they can sell vehicles for more but if fewer and fewer and fewer people are buying cars, I, I just don't know where, where all this leads. Like, is there going to be, is, is Nissan or some other company just going to fill that void? Or are we just going to never see uh, like cheap cars again? Like, where is this all going? Well, where does it march to? You're exactly right, Matt, because what was, well, we talked about this, I think, on episode one, that the average price in America is like 45000 something ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. I believe that was the number, yeah. Yeah, and and it's you're right. It's hard to find a car, new car, under twenty thousand dollars. And it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about cars that were in the ten grand range ish, right? Between the uh, between the Chevy, um, oh, not the uh, the Spark. I was thinking the Sonic then, as you said, and the Micra and cars like that. They were very affordable and arguably mm-hmm. competed against used cars. Some people would say, <laughs> surely, and and there's an there's an appetite for cheap cars too, like yeah, um, that I don't think evaporated. Like, uh, if I recall correctly, there was a company that forever was trying to sell a three wheeled automobile for under ten grand. Now we know right. that didn't that didn't work out <laughs> for them, but you know, it had a lot of hype behind it. And some of the things the dealers or, or not dealers, um, I'll get into uh, the, what the dealers are saying later. But some of the things the manufacturers are saying kind of don't mesh for every market either. Like Volkswagen was talking about how they're going to probably close down a bunch of factories in Europe to prioritize 
the United States and China saying that they're probably going to try to do higher margin stuff and diminished output. But that's not really true because if you look at what they're doing in China, they're still trying to chase volume. Like they want to see growth in, in China. And I have a quote from their CFO uh, from like last week saying the the key target is not growth. Um, they're more focused on quality and margins. And I, I would say that's important, especially after they kind of botched some of their more recent products, specifically the ID4 and the, the, the Mark 8 Golf. Uh, so improving quality is great, but I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how upmarket or just expensive, even if they're not making the cars fancier, if they just make them more expensive and build fewer, mm -hmm. I don't know what kind of tolerance a company like Volkswagen is going to have. That's yeah, that's a good point. And the, the thing is, you guys are more well-versed in this topic than I am, which is why I'm going to defer to you for the most part. But the one thing that I can keep, uh, keep coming back to is, you know, there are there are very few cheap cars on the market, cheap brand new cars, but there is kind of, and I think you guys both touched on it, there is the used car aspect of it, you know, but even that's kind of messed up right now because getting a used car is harder to get, right? They're more expensive uh, as there is pent up demand and chip shortages that make it harder to buy a used car. So therefore new used cars become higher in demand. So I have to, I have to think that maybe when the, the, um, the market gets back a little more towards, towards, towards what we would consider normal, we might do a little bit better in terms of seeing cheap cars. But the thing is at that point, will it still be, will there be a return to having small cars like the Sonic and the Spark and that sort of thing? Or will it be that automakers say, well, Hey, you know, the used car prices are no longer insane. The customer who needs cheap wheels should just buy a two or three year old cord. That's, that's the question that I have. Well, I think you're right about the uh, production problems influencing this pretty heavily. Uh, mm -hmm. General Motors, that's, that was kind of their, uh, their take. They basically confessed that they've had problems with uh, semiconductors and, you know, having reliable components to, you know, have meet their production targets. And basically is kind of saying they're being forced into hunting for profits in lieu of volume, which is understandable. But something also tells me that a lot of these companies just spent like the last two years running really lean, learned after a pretty rough 2020, comparatively rough, uh, that they can actually do okay um, with a lot less overhead uh, in 2021. So another part of me is like, well, are they just going to try to run with this, see how long they can kind of stick with the, the present status quo and, and uh, rake it in as much as possible. Hmm. Um, also the deal, the national uh, automotive dealers association is predicting like, you know, sus suspended uh, volumes and elevated uh, pricing, like well into next year, if not 2024. Um, so they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't, if they get less product or more, as long as they can keep, charging super high prices it doesn't matter yeah and you're right you talked about customers and the dealers it's in, it's going to be interesting to see where some of these customers go because i'll use ford as an example when they got rid of the ranger i vividly remember someone some suit from ford saying that well where are those customers going to go and they said well we'll flip them to fiesta believe it or not because of mm -hmm. the price point and I thought that was absurd and it was and still is. But one thing I have noticed in our town, for example, is that with the death of the Fiesta, um, you're seeing a lot of those drivers being poked into or and focus, a lot of those drivers poked into the uh, Echo Sport, which is also on the outs right now. 
Right. So dealers are pretty adept at, at molding their customers the way they're, so most of them are adept at molding their customers the way they want. Yeah, That's it is. It is amazing to watch them work sometimes. Right. To convince someone who comes in for, you know, one thing, be like, are you sure you don't want this completely different, really different type of vehicle <laughs> for way more money? And like these customers are bringing back off lease, you know, a, a focus or whatever. And then you see them rolling around in a, um, then you see them rolling around in a Echo Sport. And I wonder if in two or three years' time, guess what they might be doing? Maverick, right? Not because right. of the type of vehicle, but because of the price point. So I wonder if that's going to translate to these this you know dearth of cheap cars, if they're going to move them. Anecdotally, a lot of people have told me that they all they really want is affordable, reliable transportation right now. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, people will just go into, you know, whatever fits their budget. And if that has to be something that maybe, you know, isn't exactly what they envisioned, that'll be fine. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, you know, it's it's more or less a playground as you get into more expensive cars, unless you're talking about sports cars, which I don't know, don't seem like they're going to exist for much longer. I don't really know what's going to happen. Maybe we just won't have them for a while. I don't think there's much of a market. Uh, forum right now it doesn't seem like uh there's a lot of people with highly uh like regular people with like disposable income so you see in those sort of middle grade sports cars like the kind of everyman sports cars they don't seem to be selling really well and no one seems to be that interested in them that's All a good of, point yeah it is go ahead tim oh i was gonna say i think matt's right about the sports car thing i mean we all of us as enthusiasts love them but it, it is hard for i think there would be a time briefly um Unless the economy really takes off. And right now we're in a weird spot where the economy in some ways is booming. The jobs, jobs numbers are good. Unemployment's low. But in other ways, it's it's not good. Obviously, inflation is super high. So I think we're in a point where, like, until people have disposable income, sports cars, particularly those that don't have a, that don't have a back seat or don't have a usable back seat, are going to kind of take, no pun intended, a back seat to the, um, the rest of the market. But I think eventually, you know, if the economy gets better, that that might change, and, and I think I think it's partly why the Camaro, the Chevy Camaro, is going away. Now that being said, obviously Nissan has a new Z, or what they're calling new. A lot of it is underneath is is based on the previous generation car, from what I understand. And the Mustang will continue to sell well; it always seems to do so. And there's there's other sports cars out there right now, and it's certainly we're seeing sports sedans coming, like the GR Corolla, which we'll talk about in the next segment a little bit, and then the um, you know, Subaru's new WRX and all that, and. and Volkswagen redid the, the the Golf and Golf R, and Honda has a new Civic Si and a new, and a new Civic Type R coming. So there may be a market for the sports car that can also be a daily driver. But I think Matt is right that the the two door sports car, particularly the particularly one that has limited utility, is temporarily going to be hard to it's going to be um, not hard to find. But that segment will shrink at least for a while. I think I've got it, some. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I've got some supportive evidence. Um, oh, that's for, good for your case. <laughs> so if you if you if you track Camaro and Mustang sales, they've been trending down uh, pretty drastically over the last five, six, seven years, at least for the Mustang and Camaro. The Challenger, uh, which I would argue has infinite more utility than oh, either of those cars. It, it's just huge. It has a useful backseat. That trunk is massive. Mm -hmm. um, their sales are comparatively stable. That makes sense. And, and the, the Charger, obviously, too, but I, I didn't want to compare the Charger because it's four yeah, doors. Four obviously, doors, it's yeah. going to have more utility. Yeah. In, in terms of profits, I mean, whether I know this is more of a dealer thing, but 
they're raking it in on the back end too with a lot of the a lot of the products that they're selling in the F and I office and in the business office, right? Right. That's a good point too. I hadn't even considered that. You know, we're right. talking product and what's available on dealers' lots, but what about loans? What about the money they make on, on financing and super long loans? This is loans and warranties and um, service contracts and all that type of stuff. I mean, like you said, Matt, anecdotally, that's a great word. Um, there's no shortage of money being made on the back end of deals these days. In right. addition terms, to the front. terms are just getting longer. Everyone's talking about raising interest rates. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the, this is all going pretty well for the dealers. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a big dealer, I mean, we know that small dealers are, you know, being bought up and pushed mm-hmm. out of the, the market. But if you're a moderate to large size, uh, like dealership, this is the time. Mm-hmm. All right. That just about wraps that first segment. So we'll be right back to discuss 2022 New York Auto Show. back on the truth about cars podcast my name is tim healy i'm the managing editor for the truth about cars along with our news contributors matt posky and matthew guy representing chicago michigan and nova scotia respectively in the first segment we discussed what's going on with the uh with the automotive market uh, and the industry in general and now we are moving on to a little more product focused segment as we look at the new york auto show which is taking place next week covid willing I assume at this point it is going to happen. It's probably too late for a cancellation. So we do know a few things uh, about what's going to be shown. The press conference schedule looks a little bit light. Just looking at it right now, we're seeing that the main the main uh, manufacturers in terms of interest will probably be Jeep, Hyundai, and Kia, and maybe Chrysler. Looking at those, we actually have a sense that some of us in the industry know what Jeep's going to do, but we probably cannot say it legally. <laughs> But we we uh, we definitely know a few things um, about what Jeep's going to do. We do have public confirmation of what Hyundai and Kia are working on, and those are the next generation uh, Hyundai Palisade, Palisade, excuse me, seven or three row crossover, and then the corresponding its platform mate, the Kia Telluride. Both are due for refreshes already, which is insane since they, it seems like just yesterday they were launched. And then Kia has also talked about upgrading the Kia Nero, and they've used the phrasing all new, but it's unclear to me whether we're talking about a full-on all new redesign or more of a refresh. Sometimes that phrasing all new gets thrown around for what you would consider to be a redesign as opposed to, I'm sorry, it gets thrown around for what you would consider to be a refresh, not a redesign. So we'll we'll know more in in a little bit less than a week, but I just want to pick your guys' brains on what you think Hyundai and Kia are doing, and then... um, you know, we, one thing we do know about, about Jeep and Chrysler, and we, I, we, we don't know for sure what application is going to be in, but it has been re- reported the Hurricane Engine, the Hurricane uh, powertrain. So why don't I kind of pick your brains on what you guys think about what's going on with New York Auto Show? Well, I always thought that Telluride was a really ugly car um, that everyone likes. Like, everyone says it's a great car. <laughs> but um, I'm happy to, to see it get a, a refresh. Yeah, me too. And with the Palisade, it's so interesting because we're seeing Palisade and Telluride, but Palisade in particular show up in in parts of town that would not normally have seen that brand. Um, mm-hmm. If if you if you uh, understand where I'm coming from on that, um, and I think styling has a lot to do with it. You know, um, I know it's not body on frame, but I also know that some people who have bought it have been like, yeah, 
this thing looks pretty square. And yeah, it looks. It does look like it, like a like a real SUV. It's it, really it's boxy. Really boxy, and the new. So they've Hyundai has put out a couple of teaser pictures of it, and you can definitely recognize it on the front. But they've cleaned up typical mid-cycle refresh stuff, cleaned up the headlights, and made the light signature just a little bit more in your face uh, from the front, at least. So it's we're not gonna. They're they're not going to stop selling them with this refresh. I don't think they're they're not going to tank. Um, the Are they model. doing a an illuminated grill or at least the on the outside? The teaser made it look like that, but I don't know if that was just my imagination. <laughs> it was it was illuminated, so every picture I saw it was you know yeah. they had added like you know as much like white balance as possible. Yeah, I have the teaser image up in front of me, and I really can't tell from it if that's just shading of the image or actual yeah. illumination of the logo or the grill the teaser I mean, they, might, they might do something like they did with the tucson and the San, and the santa cruz that those lights into the into the into the grill that would mm-hmm. be cool yeah possible i don't see it here on the teaser either tim Nor do it I. would be cool if they did the teaser does look a lot like the current model just kind of like they sanded down the boxier edges and i'm actually a fan of the it is a little bit it is kind of, I can see why Matt would say it's ugly. I definitely, I definitely get that, but I actually kind of am a fan of the square looks of the Telluride. It does look, make, it does make it look a lot tougher than it is. And I understand that there's the cynical part of me that says, oh my God, it shouldn't be that. It's a body, it's not a body on frame car. Some soccer mom or soccer dad doesn't need to have this rugged looking Telluride because it's never going to go off road. There's another part of me that thinks, well, that's partly why it sells, right? It looks like it's got a lot of utility and, you know, it just looks tough and, and, and kind of, conveys that image of being the boxy tough SUV of yore, right? And then, but I also like the way the Palisade looks and the Palisade is much more um, urban style. It's definitely softer looking. It's definitely more stylish and sleek, more attractive to my eye. So maybe I'm just weird, but uh, you know, looking just circling back to the Telluride, looking at the teaser, it doesn't look like it's changed a ton, just like, but it looks like they're softening off the edges just a little bit to, I don't know if it makes it more attractive or not, but certainly kind of makes it, Takes away some of that ruggedness. We Matt and I are not going to comment on your on you being weird because you sign our paychecks. So <laughs> <laughs> you sicko. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't look that much different. I kind of no. thought they would they would do more. Um, but honestly, just kind of going through what's going to be there, it, it doesn't look like there's tons of exciting stuff. Except I do think, and I do not like this car. Um, I think the the redesign of the HRV. The Honda HRV looks mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, and it actually reminds me when we introduced the segment, I forgot to mention there are cars that will, they're not on the official press conference sheet because they've been unveiled or will right, have but been they'll unveiled. Be, they'll be there. York, but they'll be at the they'll be at the show for us to see. For a lot of us, it'll be the first time we see them in the flesh. So the, the HRV, uh, I don't know for sure it'll be there, but logic says it most likely would, and that'll be the first chance a lot of journalists would have a chance to see it in person. And then the GR Corolla, I have heard confirmation from Toyota that the GR Corolla will be there static. So nice. that's the car. It's exciting for a lot of people, and we'll be able to see that in person. Uh, and you know, I think I, that's, go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, like, we were talking before we recorded about how excited I was about the GR Corolla. Um, but, you know, I forgot. Uh, I'm never going to own one because Toyota said they're, they're going to be in pretty limited numbers, I think. Something like something they're only going to make uh, – Six and a half uh, grand globally, or something, for the first year. Oh yeah, I don't know if I've seen that. Um, and I'll, I, it's amazing. I wrote like three articles on it. But I don't recall seeing any uh, 
limited production either. I missed that or I might um, maybe I maybe yeah. I man imagined it, but I thought I saw something like that earlier in the week that they were they were really gonna like limit production. Yeah, uh, if that's the case, it's going to make them a lot more expensive, obviously. Uh, but just circling back to the auto show um, press conference schedule, the, the GR Corolla and the HRV and a few other vehicles, I think, will kind of add some excitement. So when you look at the press conference schedule, you look at it and go, oh, my gosh, there's not much going on. It's the first New York auto show since COVID. Um, it's one of the few auto shows that's happened since COVID. Uh, Chicago has been the only show that didn't get totally canceled because the 2020 edition – was right before COVID shut the world down. Then in 2021, when cases were low and people had begun to get vaccinated, the Chicago show went ahead with a kind of a mostly outdoor setup and a little bit indoor. And then this past year, we thought it would be fairly close back to normal. I believe mask wearing was, was required. I can't recall top of my head. I believe it was. But other than that, the show was fairly normal. But, um, you know... We, we had an L.A. auto show last fall as well, but we've not had New York in two years. And so if you're looking at this press conference schedule and saying, oh, my God, this is going to be so boring. It's going to be Jeep, Hyundai, Kia, and that's it. Don't forget about the cars that are not being officially unveiled, but will be there. So the HRV, the GR Corolla, and others. I think that I think that's something to keep in mind if you're in New York and going to attend the show as a consumer. Totally. And, Matt, I think you're right. I just Googled it here, and it does say 6,600 units will be produced for the 2023 wow. model year. So they're, you know, leaving the door open. And Does it say if that includes the circuit edition or not? Includes 1,500 fully loaded circuit editions. Okay, so that's, um, a, that's not a lot of cars. It's not a ton. and So there's going to be a lot of ADM on that. For those who don't know, it's adjusted dealer markup when the dealers <laughs> put a huge markup on top of the sticker price. I remember reading an interview years and years ago, and I don't remember if the person was from Lamborghini or Ferrari, but when someone asked, and one of the commenters can correct me, which brand it was, but when he was asked, how many of these do you plan to make? He said, one fewer than the market demands. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's what they're doing here. <laughs> sure sounds like it. Right? Yeah. Anyone else have any other thoughts on, on the New York show? I mean, obviously, like I said just a minute ago, it is the first true show back since COVID in the New York City area. For those who don't remember, and this feels like yesterday, but it was already almost a year ago now, Last summer, the New York Auto Show had been moved to August from its usual April spot. And then within two weeks out from the show, and I never did hear exactly why, but my, my speculative guess is that it would have been logistically a nightmare to check vaccination status under New York's rules. So the, the show was canceled about two weeks or so right before the show was supposed to take place. But a few automakers still carried out their events, and I, I ended up traveling to New York to see the new Nissan Z. Uh, in Brooklyn. So, you know, some of us did absolutely uh, did absolutely go to to New York to see one vehicle or two vehicles. I know, I believe Ford or Lincoln did an event, or, or I'm not 100% certain on that. I know there was, there may have been a few other things going on that kind of took place independent of the show, but as we get back at coming out of COVID, I'm just kind of curious what you guys think, and you know, I've always maintained that auto shows are, are for the consumer, not for the media, and I, I'm just wondering if, if the combination of COVID and then the, even before COVID, the pre-show, tra- the pre-COVID trend, excuse me, of moving events off-site in order to ca- capture more attention. I just wonder if it's kind of killed the idea of the auto show media day. A little bit. I mean, like you were saying, it, there were a lot of trends that were kind of pushing us away from the big auto shows anyway. So many of these cars we've either seen in online teasers or or somewhere else, and it's only gotten uh, worse I get what well, you could say worse or better if, if whatever your preference is. 
um, since COVID stuff started. So yeah, I don't think there's as much utility, but at the same time, you don't really get the same sense of a car uh, in a picture than when you actually get to you know drive it or even just walk up and look at it and feel it. Uh, I can't tell you the number of cars. I was like, oh, that looks really ugly in a photo. And then I'd saw it in person uh, and I was like, oh, actually this looks pretty good or vice versa. You, you don't really get a sense of how this, the seats feel or if they're using like crappy plastics from photographs. Yeah. And again, I think that comes back to um, the show being more for consumers. I think for a car shopper, the show still has a ton of value, right? right. You have a chance to have all the cars. If you're in the market or if you just like cars and you want to burn a day doing something fun, you can see all the cars you want to see up close in person. And for the most part, you don't get the same pressure you would get at a dealership. You get some of that because there are some salespeople on the floor, but they're much less pushy than you would be at a dealership and they would be <laughs> at a dealership. And, you know, for years, even before I got in this business, we'd go to the auto show in Chicago every year just for fun. Yeah, we go every we go every year in Detroit, and then when I moved to New York, I went every year. Uh, yeah. Ironically, until I started <laughs> until I started working here. Yeah, I've, I've gone less often as a consumer now that I'm, the media days. It's like, oh man, I saw it all already. Now I only go when I someone I know wants to go with me. But um, yeah, so I think for consumers it's great, but for the media, you know, it's it's it, it made sense before the internet may change things but it also made sense before uh for those this little bit of inside baseball but automakers a few years ago started really hardcore doing off-site events the day before or two days before the actual media day so for example my one of the first new york auto shows well actually it wasn't one of the first ones but it was before i was at t-tech i came into the new york auto show for a previous job and this the company i was working for at the time had a corporate apartment uh like Madison Green, it's like I, it's like kind of the Flatiron District. I forget what street it was. Like, uh, it was right off Broadway. And I got in, landed, and I was like, I'm packing my bags. I look out the window, and Jaguar was setting up an event across the street. And this was like a day before the show. I had meetings to do, so I was like flown in a day or two early. I think I flew in on Monday, and the media day was Wednesday, something like that. So this is like Monday already, two days before the show. They're setting up for an event because they want to capture the spotlight. And the same thing happened uh, in L.A. the last year before COVID with the Mach-E Ford flew journalists out on Thursday, the week before the show. The show's media day was a Wednesday, so it was almost a full week before. And I, and I believe Friday was, we did like an embargoed event on Friday, had the weekend kind of to ourselves, and then Monday, was, or Sunday night was the official unveiling. So they're unveiling the car three days before the media days to try and get spotlight. And that's, I think, and, and that had been a common thing in Detroit as well. Um, a lot of the Detroit auto shows I've gone to Media Day used to be on Monday, and a lot of their, their events on Saturday and Sunday. And so I think the automakers, in their fight to sort of be the only one in the spotlight for a day and a half or a day or however long it is, have sort of, in a way, inadvertently made the Media Day less important. Yeah, that's true. And they definitely, when they do have like events that are you know competing for time, I mean, how many, how many, <laughs> how many events have you been to where they're just doing everything they can to keep you there and have everything be so nice that, you know, you don't want to leave free alcohol, free snacks, like, Oh no, stay here and talk to us about our car. That way you're too tired to go to the next place. So, you know, when you write the article, like you only write about us. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I knew some people that worked in PR uh, for some auto events and they confessed to me like, Oh yeah, that's pretty much our goal is to just, you know, keep you here and happy. So you write positive things about our company and not about anyone else. 
capture right. that attention and keep it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it does work other, the other direction too, because when I first started in this business, there weren't quite as many offsite events, so there'd be one or two the night before. And then if you're by yourself as a freelancer, or if you're the only person from your outlet who gets assigned to the, actually go to the show, or if your outlet's just too small, and we're getting a little into, into inside baseball here, so we'll bring it back the other way soon. But like, if you're in, in one of those situations, you can't cover every press conference without killing yourself. Almost, I don't mean that literally, but you definitely do get exhausted. And so, um, you know, I think in a way, the, these offsites actually make it a little easier to spread the coverage out for on our side. But it also, the whole reason we're talking about this is not just to, to complain about inside baseball for the industry, but it, if you look at the press conference schedule, it's one reason why there aren't as many cars um, going to be that will be unveiled next week. That's why there's only three or four that are going to be on the list. And I think also the the greater market realities of COVID and chip shortage has something to do with that too. But I just think you know the way this media day thing is changing, we may not, it may become a lot different in the future. And I think COVID may just be accelerating that. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. And I did get a little bit into some inside media stuff there, but the whole idea is is that's why the press conference schedule is shorter and why auto shows are becoming. So if you're listening to this and you, you don't really care about that, well, you might understand why in the next five or six months as auto shows continue on, that maybe T-TAC and Jalopnik and our competitors don't have as much auto show coverage or have as many new cars on an auto show media day as they did five or 10 years ago. Cause this is changing a lot. Yeah, no, it's certainly, it's a different, um, you know, been doing this for a decade or so. And, and it is a little bit different. That's for sure. It's just the feel of the place, you know, for the last um, auto show that I went to versus the very first one that I went to, there's certainly less going on in terms of, and some of them in terms of brand new, wow, look at me reveals and stuff like that. There Less was one... scantily clad women too. <laughs> yes, what, I've noticed. what was what was the one? Um, was it Acura that was showing off the NSX and Ford decided to roll their GT behind it at the same time? Like well, I've never purpose. heard about that one. Right, it was something like that. I, I'd have to research, go back through my go back through my books and all that stuff, and look at it again. But there was something like that, right? Where so automakers used to play games with each other too, just like you would on the playground and. Everyone's human, <laughs> just like having a bit of fun, right? And try to get a dig. Yeah, at yeah. And so. again, I, I, we didn't. I didn't mean to turn that into an inside baseball journalist discussion. But the whole reason I brought it up is because it does explain to the consumer exactly why why the show exactly. is changing and why it's going to be why they'll see, why the average reader is going to see less and less auto show coverage during mm -hmm. the actual show itself, at least over the next year or two. And again, this may all be. Just related to COVID and and the chip shortage, and it may not have anything to do with offsite unveils or the way or PR strategy. So it may end up being that things go back to the way they were in a couple of years. We'll see. But uh, before we get off the topic and move into our next segment, I do did want to look just kind of have a little fun with the afternoon slate of the press conference schedule for those who might be going to the show, those who live in the New York area or will be traveling there, or who just follow auto show coverage closely. It looks like it's a heavy dose of. EVs and unknown slash startup automakers in the afternoon. I have not heard of Plug Zen, Gravity Mobility, Jetson. I believe I've heard of Deuce or Deus Automobiles. Uh, Cobrera does not strike a note with me. VinFast, we do know about. I've covered them a little bit. They're trying to make inroads in the American market. And for those who don't know, they're a company out of Vietnam. And they do, they do seem like they may have a, a chance of getting a foothold in this market. But 
between lunch and the end of the day, it just looks kind of like a whole bunch of unknown startups. Interesting. And it's neat that those types of places or those types of businesses are going to be at the table because that's not something that used to happen one time. It was just the big dogs and that was it. So well, they would always have the basement at um, the Javits <laughs> Center in the really? corner and the basement in uh, Detroit that was like reserved for like all the weird companies or yeah. for a long time. It was, it was a lot of Chinese companies there and like EV startups would be down there. Right. Yeah. It'd be the basement and or the second day. Yep. But now there is no second day uh, this year. <laughs> it's just the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. There is a BMW event that is happening on the second day, but I believe it's private. And we did not make the invitational cut, uh, which is okay. But uh, there is no like open to the. I believe the show floor is open, and so if you want to take me you know, for those of us in the media who might want to take pictures or or Spin whatever. Spin on a BMW. But, but there is a. Uh, that's funny. But that's there is no official events, press conferences, or anything like that on the second day according to this too. schedule. So it is definitely downsized than it has been in the past. And on that note, we will be right back in just a few with our final segment of the day in which we discuss the best cars from 20 years ago from 2002. All right, welcome back to the Truth About Cars podcast episode three. We're discussing the overall state of the industry, the upcoming New York Auto Show, and finally, the best cars from 20 years ago. That's right, 2002, and that makes me feel more than a little old. And those of you who have listened to all three episodes will, will note that we've kind of made a sort of arbitrarily backslid from 30 years to 25 to 20. So I guess next time will be 15, then it'll be 10, then 5, then it'll go maybe way back in the way back machine from there. Or maybe it'll just hop around. I don't know. But um, anyway, we're discussing the best cars from 2002. So that would be the, the post 9-11 era, early aughts. For me, college, I would have been, uh, I think, my third year of college, if I'm doing the math, if I'm remembering right, somewhere around there. So third or fourth year of college. So, you know, it was an interesting time for car enthusiasts. The world was changing a little bit. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I believe there were some, at that point, hybrids or electric cars were, not electric cars, but hybrids are a little bit were kind of hitting the market. And there was definitely a lot of change in the market, but also some stalwarts like the Honda Accord and Toyota Camry and all that stuff carrying on. So it was kind of a mixture of of new and old that around that time based on my earlier research. And looking back, and we, we say best cars, but really for the three of us, it's our favorite car, right? Because we, we're not necessarily evaluating cars uh, that are 20 years old and on how great they were. But we're My favorite cars car are... is the best car. Yeah, well, maybe. Right? You don't feel that way? Yeah, right. But for um, for me, and I'll get us started, I, I have a, a weird love affair. I'm not even sure if I've ever driven one of these cars. And I've mentioned it, I think, on one of the previous episodes, but the Acura RSX, which was sort of, but not really, an Integra replacement, or replacement, excuse me. But just, I've always loved the way that car looked. From, from all accounts, it was a blast to drive. Um, I remember I've, at several times I've looked at buying one used and almost every time I look at the price and say, well, if it's in good shape, it's way too much money. So they didn't sell a ton or if they, or maybe they did, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a lot of them didn't last. There's not that many on the road anymore. I certainly don't see them anecdotally. 
But I always liked that small little manual transmission, hatchback or, or coupe or sedan, front wheel drive, all wheel drive, whatever. But I believe that car was only front wheel. But, you know, I've always loved those those small sporty stick shifts. And I think that car, and it also had this design. It just, it was good looking without being, it was kind of a little bit plain, but good looking in a plain way. And it was it was not overstyled. It was it was under it was understated in its looks. And I think Honda and slash Acura did a great job with the way it looked. I liked the interior of that car. I liked everything about it except for the fact that if I wanted to buy one now, they're just not cheap. Uh, and then I'm going to turn it over to you guys to see what what, what you guys think about uh, your two favorite slash best cars from uh, the year 2002. I also picked a Honda. Um, oh, and the the RSX was the formal replacement um for our market and it was sold as the integra in japan oh thank FYI, you just an I forgot about that. thank you um yeah i drove one once it was it was it was actually a great car like uh it was much more comfortable i remember than uh the original integra and was better looking but i went uh went pretty big i noticed i was picking some cars that were kind of boring like my taste but kind of dull so this this week i picked something that uh, is way outside of what I would normally get, uh, the Honda S2000. Oh, yes. Oh, I had a friend who had one of those. Or actually, his parents had one of those, and those cars were a blast. <laughs> Everybody loves Everyone loves this car. I don't like convertibles. Uh, I, I typically like um, forced induction if I'm getting a four-cylinder engine. Uh, I don't like cars in yellow, and I, I always saw it in yellow or some sort of grayscale. Um, it wasn't the car... I ever thought I would like, but I figured out why I love the car so much. It totally replicates um, the experience you get, or at least as close as you can get of, of like a, a sport bike. It's super duper mm. high revy. That makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. You get all, all the fun is when you're just thrashing it and you know, you get all the wind. It, it, I don't know. The car's got a lot of drama, but uh, I've driven two and both of them had way more than, a hundred thousand miles on it and they felt really tight the cars feel great even really? even ancient i mean i'm the guys i knew were that owned them they were really really you know they really loved those cars so they got the <laughs> best maintenance that you know any car is ever going to get but uh yeah even after six figures they still were really great to drive um the i think wasn't it for a long time it had the the um most power to displacement of, of, of any car in the world. I think like you're right. In At least for like a, a decade measure, and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I was, don't was, have that in front of me, but I think you're right as well. It was wild because it, it made like 240 HP. I think it was technically rated like a little bit under that for a two liter in the, the first gen, which is the one I like. And then um, the next one uh, was a little bit bigger engine. Didn't make any more power, but it did make some more, more torque. Yeah. which um, that lack of torque is very apparent when you're driving it, but it's still really fun. The The gearbox is real tight. Uh, it was manual six speed, I think was the only uh, option. And uh, I'm not the best with a stick, but I, I remember having a lot of fun with that car, even before I had a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, the <laughs> the cockpit in it, it's, it's got the everything angled at the driver. I mean, it, there's nothing for the, the passenger to do in that car. Um, yeah, there's even like radio controls, like on the left, right next to the starter button, Yeah, which I think was pretty novel at the time. Cause you had to put the key in and then push the starter button. And I don't really remember too many other cars in two, the early two thousands that had that. Yeah. Uh, I was in the dealership 
service department around that time. And I think luxury cars were starting to get the keyless, maybe cars that were like over $43,000, but I don't recall very many of them at that point. I think they mostly still had keys for another three or four years. I think 2005 or six is when the keyless really hit. So I think you're right. That may be one of the first cars that had that. God, I love those gauges. You had the uh, tachometer right in front of you, like an arc going yep. above the big Yeah, even, even the gauge, the instrument cluster reminds me of like a sport bike, just watching it, you know, go all the way up to like, yep. you know, I think it was eight, a little under 9,000 RPM was the red line. That and first game, man, yeah. The car would just scream. Like, you know, I, I, that was one of those cars I wish I, I could have found a good one to, to have bought for myself, even though on paper it's like everything I wouldn't want in a car. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you know it's good when it flies in the face of all your perceived preferences all my prejudices yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome so i'll Mr. pick guy spotlights go, on you going back to calendar year 2002 and i'll be burned at the stake for this so you guys start yelling right now but that's when the porsche kn came out and if i don't love that car because mm. of because of it as a car, I love it for what it did for the company. That's because fair. It, right? It permitted Porsche to continue to make enough money to crank out the 911 to keep making. We wouldn't have, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have what we have right now in terms of like the 70, you know? Yeah, and I'm actually not going to judge at... you for that because, um, first of all, I typically don't judge people on their automobile choices with a few exceptions. Uh, there's a handful <laughs> of cars that, you know, I don't know why you buy Mitsubishi Mirage if you didn't have to, for example. But um, I won't judge you too much on that. I don't know if I've ever driven a Cayenne, despite the fact I've been in this business for a very long time. I just haven't driven very many Porsches in general. From what I've heard, they are actually fairly fun to drive for an SUV. And I think you are right, too, that the Cayenne and later the Macan and maybe even the Panamera, although I'm not quite so sure about that. I have to look at sales numbers. Mm -hmm. I think those cars helped keep the 911 alive once crossovers became a thing. It helped keep the lights on. And, I mean, there's other fun facts about it that you can use for trivia night down at the pub. It was the first V8 since the 928, for example. It was the first one with four, first Porsche with, with four doors and all that type of stuff, right? But just as a, as a business case... And I've never driven a first gen either, but you could get that with a stick shift. And you oh, know, it, right. did, it, it did have it did have some Porsche styling cues, even if it did look like something that had been caught in the taffy puller, all stretched out in different directions. And, and the nine eleven also, I'm not in love with that generation nine eleven either because they had the fried egg headlights. I didn't uh -huh. not too fussy on those two thousand five and up. I like much better, but. That's my choice, just because of what it did for the company, um, if not for the car itself. No, that makes yeah. sense. It's um, it's thinking back to like how many people said that that would never work, and this is clearly it for for Porsche. I was then, probably one of them. <laughs> it, well, yeah, because it, it seemed crazy, and and now, I mean, you could argue that 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 model is you know informed kind of the 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 influx of sporty crossovers. For better, for worse, absolutely. And today we've got what the DBX and and the Eurus, which is one of the worst names ever. Um, it sounds Oof. like yeah. it sounds like you go to the doctor for it. I've got an itchy Eurus. I need you to. Um... <laughs> <laughs> 
and all of the different um what is the ferrari that's coming out i can't pronounce it pure sang for pure blood um or purebred and and you're right it, it definitely set the set the table for all those for better or for worse so yeah um i think in general you know I, the purist in me is like oh my gosh these brands are putting out suvs how cynical is this but if it keeps the the, the cars that made their bones if it subsidizes them i'm totally cool with it you mm-hmm. know and, and that's the thing it's like it's not just, there's a lot of, I'm trying to think of another example from the non-car world. There's all sorts of things that we buy where you're like, I really like product X. And I think company, the company makes that, it's also making product Y and product Y sucks, but product Y is real popular so that they can, so that way product X is still out there. I'm trying, I can't think off the top of my head of a, of a non-car example. I'm sure it's going to hit me like two minutes after we log off, but uh, it's definitely, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, this car stinks, but it keeps my favorite car uh, alive. So you really can't get too upset about it. I've got no love for Microsoft Office, even though I use it every day, but I love my Xbox One, so. That's a great, that, that analogy works perfect for me, by the way. <laughs> really? Yeah. Perfect. Excellent. <laughs> Around I just, got a, I just got a new Xbox. Awesome. Yeah, I would agree. It's uh, That's the kind of thing. We, we don't, none of us really like Office, but if you like playing video games, it helps keep the Xbox around, right? So, yes, indeed. All right, then. On that note, we will go ahead and wrap this up. And we will see you next time on the Truth About Cars podcast. Our next one will probably, depending on when we are able to produce it, we'll, I would imagine we'll be discussing the what actually do, did happen at the New York Auto Show that we've just been previewing earlier. And then we'll probably be talking about best cars of 19, I'm sorry, excuse me, 2007, if we continue along the pattern we've been following. And then the third topic will be a wild card. So be sure to tune in to that episode as soon as we have recorded. This episode has been great. We've been talking about the overall business, the upcoming New York Auto Show, and the best cars of 2002. For Matthew Guy and Matt Posky, I'm Tim Healy, and this is Truth About Cars, signing off. 